WENJ, WENJ HD, Millville, Atlantic City. 97.3 ESPN presents the Sports Bash with Mike Gill. It's time for the MGPT Top 5 at 5 with Mike Gill and Pete Thompson. Now, live from inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, it's the MGPT Top 5 at 5. All right, it's time for the MGPT Top 5 at 5. Mike Gill, Hunter Brody, and Pete Thompson joins us here on the Sports Pass Live on 97.3 ESPN. So before we get to the PT, we're going to try to recreate a moment from yesterday's edition of the MGPT Top 5 at 5, Broach. Do you remember the moment that we're talking about? Oh, do I ever. So we found this little ditty from uh, yesterday's MGPT Top 5 at 5. We're going to rehash it right now. That one. No questions asked. PT, right, you wait. We're up to my number uh, one. Peter, what are you? What, 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 what did you take what a snooze? Done. What did you take yeah. a snooze there? I, I, I think, think he fell snoring. asleep on us, Gil. I think he literally yeah, fell asleep on our list. It literally sounded like he was snoring. No, I was. Uh, I was. Uh, so the verdict is what, uh, Broads? Was uh, you replayed it? You slowed it down. It sounded as if Pete Thompson le- legitimately fell asleep during his only segment of the show. It's not. It sounded as if. It is a full-on fact that he did not enjoy LeBron's name being brought up that much to the point where he started to snooze. Peter? <laughs> what do tigers dream of when they take a little tiger snooze? <laughs> <laughs> so is that confirming that you were actually asleep? No, I told you a million times. No, I look, you yell at me all the time. Be prepared. Be prepared when we do these segments. In one segment. Well, I was researching something while y'all were talking about LeBron, and I drifted off into kind of not paying attention to land. That happens. Bro, did you buying that? Easily for the PT. No way in hell am I buying that. <laughs> All right. Do I do I dream of Halle Berry? All right. MGPT Top 5 at 5. Peter, stay awake today. You were not very good yesterday. If we were doing... Uh, Whatever that show is on ESPN where they give you points, you would have received no points and would God have mercy on your soul. Around yes. the horn? Around the horn. Peter, no points. You would have been All muted. Right. You would have been muted. I'll, I'll be better today. Let's go. Number five. You All ready? Right. Top five games you've attended as a fan. Now, this is one that I would think that you would be pretty good at. You are somebody, you're a real man about town. You go to games as a fan very often. I do not. So my list is kind of, eh, but... I was more interested in the listeners. Yours, I think, would be pretty good. I appreciate that. I think mine's great. And I will tell you, you know, in, in case you're going to knock me, that I only have one kind of national game as a fan, and then everything else is Philly-centric. But, hey, that's where I grew up. So I'll start with my number five, and that's Braves, Cubs, NLDS, Wrigley, when I spent an entire unemployment check to see the Cubs lose at Wrigley Field in a playoff game. I've told that story before in the air. I think game one was Maddox and Pryor. This was the Bartman year, you know, so there's no way we were getting tickets to game one, but we sat in a bar and got absolutely blitzkrieged and played Golden Tee and sat next to a girl that uh, her boyfriend was a ticket broker. And then the next day, we had seats in the bleachers. Well, I'm sorry, it was game two. So the next day, we had seats in the bleachers for game two. And bleacher seating at Wrigley's reserved in the playoffs. So I spent $275, every dollar I had, 
on my unemployment check on a Braves Cubs ticket, and of course uh, Chipper Jones hit two home runs. The Braves won. The Cubs did not win. Everybody went home sad, and I got so inebriated I almost fell in the basket. But that's my number five. <laughs> I got so inebriated I almost fell in the basket. Is the quote from Pete Thompson? I love it. Now, my list is a little different. I don't have many moments that stand out to me in terms of being a fan. Like, I haven't been to that many powerful games to the point where I'm going to make something up. So my list is a little wonky, but we'll start with number five because it was a very enjoyable time, and I've never seen this happen before. So back in 2017, it was Maryland versus Michigan State basketball in Maryland because I was playing college hockey in that area at the time. And I actually saw Mellow Trimble essentially hit a buzzer beater. There was like point something left on the clock against Michigan State, and the place went crazy. They stormed the court. No, it was a really cool time to see. I've never really been to that many college basketball games, so I thought that was a, a really cool experience to, to see Mellow Trimble of Maryland hit a big-time buzzer beater against Michigan State, essentially. I like that one. That's pretty good. Uh, all right, number five for me. I, got, uh, I was at this game. Uh, let me bring it up here. It was September 18th, 2005. Phillies, Marlins. Dontrell Willis is on the mound for the Marlins. Now, this is back when Willis was with the Marlins, and he was like a phenom. When he was on the mound, yeah, when he was on the mound, you thought you didn't have a shot. And the Phillies are down. Willis has a shutout in the ninth inning. And Willis is just, he's on the verge of becoming a 22-game winner. He's got a three-hitter and a 2-0 lead into the ninth. And the Phillies scored 10 times in the ninth to beat the Marlins 10-2. to two. This game was down in Washington. And all I remember is my buddy wearing a shirt that says, bleep you, I have enough friends on it. And the guy, wife, in the row in front of us, my buddy was clapping just over and over again in this poor lady's ear. And she kept looking at her husband like, are you going to do something? They made him flip his shirt inside out. They tried everything they could to get this guy to stop being a pain in the ass but the Phillies couldn't do anything and then they scored 10 runs in the ninth it's one of the coolest games I've ever been because I got to see Willis the year he won 22 games Mm. and the Phillies scored 10 runs in the ninth and we stayed the whole time and checked that out so that was one of the coolest games 10 runs in an inning is pretty neat to be at yeah while you're saying that I just remembered that at Citizens Bank Park I watched somebody from the Dodgers throw a no hitter who was that Brad Penny I was at that game I didn't even remember it until you just started talking pitchers and great games could have been on your list, PT. Yeah, I'll throw out my honorable mention because the pitcher that's on my list, and it is a number four, and it is baseball. And I believe we've talked about this before, MG, but I was at the game August 10th, 1987, Veterans Stadium, Phillies Cubs, Kevin Gross, sandpaper in his glove. Oh, I was at that game. That's a good one. Phillies are home, games moving along, all normal, no, no big deal. Then Gene Michael, the Cubs skipper, starts talking to the home plate ump, Charlie Williams, and bingo, there's a discussion at the mound in the top of the fifth, and everybody's like, what the hell's going on? <laughs> it didn't take very long. Once Williams got out there, he took a little look in Gross's glove, whoop, you're out of here, you know, and there was a buzz. Um, I mean, because we didn't have phones, we didn't have Twitter, we didn't have the internet, we had no idea what was going on, so... Uh, we started asking around a little bit. I think an usher heard something from somebody from the dugout, and you know. But it really wasn't. I think until we picked up the paper the next day. I mean, maybe we saw it on the news that night. But yeah, Gross got suspended ten games for 
sandpaper in his glove and was very cavalier about it, too. was like, yeah, you know, I thought I'd try it. My number four is when Joel Embiid scored his career-high 49 points. The celebration was crazy. The Wells Fargo Center went nuts. That was the game where he started dancing all the time. He put his hands up to the crowd and, you know, doing Joel Embiid-like things. But it was definitely a very special game. And it's interesting because the fans with the Sixers right now, such a hostile environment. It's like a love-hate relationship. So it wasn't as warm as maybe it possibly could have been if the Sixers were on a roll. But... It was still a really cool environment to be down at the at the center that night for his 49-point performance. I like that one. Not bad at all. Uh, here's one for you guys uh, that I was at. Now, it might not be uh, you know near and dear to you guys or anybody, but Syracuse at West Virginia, January 16th, 1996. It's the first Big East game that West Virginia ever won as a member of the Big East Conference. They beat uh, a very good... Syracuse team. They had like John Wallace on that team, uh, but you know West Virginia was not very good at the time. It was the first year uh, that they had been in the Big East. They beat them 90 to 78. 78. It wasn't even that close of a game. Uh, it was the first ever Big East victory when uh, WVU went, went to uh, the Big East Conference, which sparked off you know an unbelievable run of games. Like back then in the Big East, you still had like Allen Iverson played. His name will appear in this list coming up here shortly. Um, and uh, it was just when the Big East was still on top of the world, uh, West Virginia ended up winning a Big East tournament along the way before the whole conference folded. But that was the very first Big East victory, and I was there. Nice. That's a good one, MG. Uh, and by the way, leave it to the PT to get his facts accurate, uh, i.e. wrong. It was Josh Beckett that Sunday, May 25th. It was a Sunday game, so I was there with my father on his Sunday plan. Josh Beckett, Brad Penny, what the hell? Uh, all right, my number three is uh, Ron Jaworski to Mike Quick. 99-yard touchdown to win against Atlanta in overtime. I'm talking, boys, the fact that in 1985, the term walk-off didn't exist yet. You know, I mean, November 10th, Jaworski, Quick, they beat the Falcons 23-17. to I mean, it's 99 yards in the record books, but it could be 99 yards in three quarters. I mean, it was barely over the goal line and we have changed our seats that year our season tickets we upgraded them so we moved from the 600 level to the 500 level but the catch was we couldn't see the bottom corner of the end zone below us so when they were on the goal line and Jaworski if I'm not mistaken dropped back and rolled to his right you lost view of Jaworski I never saw him throw the ball I just saw the ball shoot out I saw a quick catch it and go 99 yards in the opposite direction and we went bananas and I was there Seems like a fun time. Now, this one, (laughs) this was a teaching moment. This is a big-time teaching moment for me, so it's very important. And I went as a fan for this game, and it was the Stadium Series Flyers versus Penguins where Claude Giroux had the epic goal in overtime for the Flyers to come back, and it was an important message to me because I left the game early and heard the goal being scored while I was driving back over the bridge. And it hurt. Teaching oh, mode. No. That's a rough yeah. one. Yeah. That's brutal. Uh, I apologize. Yeah, it's a bad job out of you. Uh, it was number, raining. Number, uh, what number are we on here? You're at your third. Oh, number three. Here we go. Uh, oh, I love this game. It's one of my favorite games, obviously, because it's number three on my list. But uh, Bobby Abreu nearly hits two grand slams in the same inning 
at Wrigley Field. It's the only oh, yeah. time I've ever been to Wrigley. <laughs> but the best part about this is he hits a grand slam. He then comes up again with the bases loaded. There's a guy who's a Cubs fan. Now, we got about, by the way, the guy who was clapping in that lady's ear, he was with me again and uh, made a bet with the guy that he would bet him that the guy would have to buy the entire row of us beers if Abreu hits another grand slam in the same inning. He comes up again after hitting a grand slam and almost does it again. He hits one off the top of the wall as uh, the Phillies win the game 14-6. to But being at uh, Wrigley was unbelievable. But the fact that this guy uh, almost lost and had to pay for an entire row of beers to all of us because Bobby Abreu would have almost hit two grand slams in the same inning. And I also remember later on in that game, I had a couple of... Uh, couple of Miller lights there at Broads and I said to my buddy next to him as I had my sunglasses on hey man can you tell that my eyes are closed <laughs> why am I not surprised at all can you tell Gil snorts on all the catchers like what's that noise out there in left center hey it was a day game and it was hot out man uh the epitome of a bleacher bum I love it I wasn't sitting in the uh out in the outfield bleachers though we were like right behind third base dugout Oh, that's funny. Oh, that's good. All right, we're up to my number two. And uh, listen, how often as a fan, do you get, and this could have been number one, but you'll see why my number one is my number one. How often do you get to be in a franchise-changing game? And I was January 11th, 1981. I'm five days away from my 10th birthday. The Eagles gave me my present early. Now, the temperatures were in the single digits. The winds were gusting at 30 miles an hour. It was so cold, I ended up getting frostbite on my little feet. But I was there, sitting in Section 649 with my dad, my brother, and I think my sister. My mom was the smart one. She stayed home and watched it on TV. But there's so much history with that game. If you guys uh, remember, or Hunter, you may not know, both teams finished the regular season with 12-4 and four records. But the Eagles won the division on tiebreakers. Then you had general manager Jim Murray, who had the gamesmanship. He caused the Cowboys to have to wear their blue jerseys. The home team, the Eagles, could pick what jersey they wanted to wear. And normally they wore green at home, but they said, we're going to wear white. We want to wear white because they wanted to force the Cowboys to wear blue. And there's a story about Cowboys president Tex Schramm. He was so pissed off that he slammed the phone down in his office and broke the phone and broke the coffee mug on his desk. He was just ticked off. From our vantage point, I just remember same same kind of vantage point, 649, high up, and Wilbert Montgomery broke through the line and went 42 yards in the opposite direction for a TV. 70,696 got to their feet. I was one of them. And, of course, then at 1 in the morning, my celebration was curtailed when I woke up in immense pain because I had frostbite on I, those feet. That's, that's pretty my crazy. Number two. I did not know you were at that game, Peter. Oh, absolutely. I was at that game. You know, and the boots, remember, you know, and again, you might be too young, but the boots of my era were not Uggs. Okay? Anybody listening that's putting their tootsies and some Uggs, I hate you. I mean, we had like black rubber boots and you had to put a sandwich bag on your foot and you basically had sock, sandwich bag, and a thin layer of rubber. That does not hold up in like two degree weather with 30 mile an hour winds. <laughs> my number two is going, this is where my list gets a little wonky, but I, I had to come up with something here. My first game as a media member. Me and Gil went together. That was my first game as a media member. I put that on my list, even though it's not as a fan. I mean, that, that was a very important game to me because, you know, that kind of started this whole thing. So it was game 26 at home against the Chicago Bulls. Look at this. 
I got it right here in front of me. I even got the stat sheet. How about that? <laughs> did you keep score yourself? No, I did not. All right. Well, that one's the, that one would probably be illegal because it was as a fan, and you were not technically. Well, a fan I told you, I don't have enough games. I'm not going to make it up and pretend like game ten in the regular season matters. I, never, I didn't go to those games. <laughs> I can't even imagine what your number one is then. Well, it's a it's another faulty one, so we'll get there. All right, oh, number uh, two for me was uh, Kobe's final game in Philly. Um, he came out and just absolutely lit it up to start that night. It was electric in that place. I mean, Kobe Bryant, final time ever playing in Philly. Dr. J's there. His high school coach is there. They give him presentations beforehand. And then he comes out like vintage Kobe, hitting three after three after three. I mean, the place was going bonkers. It was electric in that place. It was one of the coolest atmospheres I think I've ever been to uh, for any sporting event. You could feel the energy in there. Kobe Bryant goes out in Philly. They got beat by a terrible process Sixers team, by the way. And... Uh, that was my number two game. I mean, Kobe Bryant's final time ever in Philadelphia. Got to see it live, and I was there as a fan. I went and had tickets. Sat uh, about, uh, I want to say, about six, seven rows behind the Laker bench. Is it fair for me to ask if you paid for those tickets? <laughs> you can ask. Ah, good answer. You can ask. I'm not answering. Uh, but you were a fan. You were in the seats. That counts. Hunter, flexing the rules. Uh, my number one is definitely as a fan. And the reason this edges out the NFC Championship for me is because it's the first Flyers game I ever went to in person. And God bless HockeyReference.com. You can look it up in November 3rd, 1984. There little Peter Thompson was in Section H, Row 1, right behind the visitor's bench. The Flyers won, by the way, 5-1. They led one zip after one and then broke it open with three goals in the second period. Two by Tim Kerr on the power play. Kerr had a four-point night, two goals, two assists, and I even got a puck from the guy working the tunnel. So on my very first NHL game in person, I got a puck. The Flyers won. A long love affair was born. Wow. You caught a puck at a hockey game? I didn't catch the puck. The guy back then, it was the Flyers tunnel connected to their dressing room. And back then, the visitor tunnel, they didn't come out the Zamboni entrance. They just, they were opposite each other. So there was a guy that worked that bench, you know, he, but he worked for the Flyers. And Mr. Wright, my neighbor, who had the seats, he went to every game. So he kind of struck up a conversation with the guy that worked the tunnel. Well, at some point, he says to the guy, yeah, this is Peter's first game. And the guy says, oh, hang on, I'll be right back. Comes back with a game puck. Like he basically went over to the cooler, opened it up, grabbed one out, and handed it to me. A game puck. Unbelievable. Little PT. Mm-mm-mm. My number I was one. thirteen. I wasn't so little. <laughs> it was a com- it's a combination of all of the games that I went to when my dad had season tickets to the Flyers, and that kind of groomed my love for hockey. So I, I was so young. It's not as if I remember all of those games and everything that happened, but all those playoff games through the '90s when I was one, two, three, four years old, and I was going in over my dad's shoulder going to all the games. So it's a combination of all of them, which. Pretty much uh, made me where I am today when it comes to hockey. See, that's creative, at least. You thought a little outside the box. I'll give it to you, kid. Well, what's wrong with the media member? That's a pretty important game. Well, the whole point was you were there as a fan, not working. Well, I was a fan of work. (laughs) Uh, Number one for me, um, it is uh, West Virginia beats UConn February 11th, 1998. 
80-62. UConn is number six in the country. Uh, I was on ESPN all night long. I did an interview when I was working for the student station with Dickie V about the game. And then I was there as a fan in the front row later on that night. When we stormed the court, you can still see the video. I have the YouTube right here of uh, us storming the court. And you can hear Dickie V going nuts when WVU... Video. Can oh, yeah. You point yourself out. Yep, That's I can, me. I see myself right now. There I am. And when Is they, there a beer we, in your hand? When we, uh, probably not. I mean, it was hard to get. I don't think they sold them inside the arena back then. But um, when uh, when WVU wins it, they storm the court. We storm the court, and you could see us all kind of running out there. And uh, yeah, it was it was the coolest game I was ever at. I mean, UConn at that time was one of the best teams in the country. We were just kind of an eh, and uh, that win. Uh, kind of propelled us, and uh, it was. Uh, I, I think that season '98 ended up with a Sweet 16 or an Elite Eight game. Yep, there we are, running on the court. There's Joe Manarsic jumping up and down. <laughs> it was just an awesome, awesome, awesome. When you're at a college game, when you upset and rush the court, there's nothing better than that. Yeah, I've never done it. I've, I've seen it. I've never done it. I've avoided it as a member yeah. of the press. Uh, real quick, honorable I'm mention. Honorable mention game. It was a West Virginia loss. December 2nd, 1995. West Virginia against Georgetown. Allen Iverson. That's the game I've referenced a bunch. Iverson comes back. They go to, they're down by like 20. And Iverson just comes flying back in the second half. Sends the game to overtime. And just, I mean, absolutely kills us. But it was so cool to see Allen Iverson play in college, in person, that close. Uh, so that made my list. Uh, and I mentioned this the other day when that guy asked that question. I was at, and PT, you were also at this game. The Eagles lost to the Vikings on a Tuesday night. It's not the fact that All they right. lost the game. It was the uniqueness of a football game being played on a Tuesday night. And I happened to be there as a fan very intoxicated fan at that game. Yeah. And uh that one, that yeah. one loses some of my luster because I had to be your Uber driver after the game and you are not helping getting closer to the Uber vehicle. I mean, I was <laughs> it was a challenge, let's put it that way. Yeah, we were uh Tweedledee and not you, but uh Tweedledee and Tweedledum trying to find our car. Uh and I was at an Army Navy game. Really cool. I I don't remember the year, but uh that was a pretty cool experience to be at uh an Army Navy game. I got some honorable mentions. I've got uh, Randall to Jimmy Giles against the uh, Giants, that touchdown where Harry Carson wasn't able to knock him down. I was at that game. Uh, Sixers-Cavaliers in the playoffs. My brother and I sitting behind the Cavs bench yelling, E-blow, you suck, E-blow. Phillies, uh, Ryan Howard's last game. Uh, that was at Citizens Bank Park, the last game he ever played for the Phillies, and he gave a speech. Eric Lindros night for the Flyers. Capitals Flyers on a scalp ticket in the playoffs. I paid 100 bucks for an $11 ticket in high school, hung my coat on the heat register, and they lost. Stupid, uh, what was that Capitals defenseman? He scored two goals. He was Rod Langway. He was good. And then uh, I met Dr. J after a Sixers game one time, um, and... Uh, we were able to stay. I was trying to get bug my dad to stay for a free post-game concert with a then-unknown LL Cool J. So those are all in my honorable mentions. Uh, we're, this exercise has pretty much told me that I have no good games. Yeah, Peter, weren't you at the? Weren't you at? Were you as a media member or a fan? The doubleheader in '93. 
a media member. I was working for WRTI Radio. Oh yeah, that was craziness. Well, you I, mean, know, I only asked somebody texted, in the ballpark. Somebody texted that one in said July second ninety three doubleheader against the Padres. Fireworks night after several rain delays are canceled. The second game starts after one a.m. I unfortunately was there with people who didn't want to stay, so I watched the second game. Uh, and the Mitch Williams pinch hit at 441 from home. Ah, oh, that's a terrible job by you. Yeah, You're there no, and you left. Uh, what else? Was that? The, uh, October 1st, 2007, New York uh, NL East clinching game 162 of the season for the Phils. That's pretty cool. Um, 2011, oh, Phillies beat the Reds in 19 innings. Wilson Valdez with the win on the mound. How about that one? Oh, nice. I remember that one. All right. The MGPT top five at five. We'll do it again tomorrow. Peter, you did, did much better? better today. You did much better today. No hey, snoring. Man. Good step. Yes. <laughs> Staying awake <laughs> is very key. All right. Thanks, guys. <laughs> uh, a couple more. No particular order. Game three, Philly Sixers versus uh, Bulls. Barkley versus Jordan Sixers with floor seats. Flyers at Fenway. Winter Classic. That's a good one. Um Eagles Dallas fourth and one game. That's a real good one. Flyers first game eighty six versus the Caps. The last meeting in Morgantown, Penn State versus West Virginia. That's from Ed in Courthouse. Man, I would love to have been at that game. Uh, I think I, I need at, to go to a West Virginia game. You do. I was at every outdoor game for the Flyers except for the one at Fenway, but all as media. Well, then you can't use that. No, that's why I didn't include it. You should have taken notes. Ken from Dennis, 4th and 26. That game was just on TV the other night. Also, another one, uh, 2004, Eagles-Packers, 4th and 26 game. Two people listening right now were at that game. Unbelievable. Maybe they were there together, or maybe they were in the same section and they had no clue. That could be it. Uh, when the Flyers won the Cup, I had a seat one game right behind their bench, separated only from Clark and Schultz and Shiro by the glass panel. That's a good one. That's a great one. Yes. All right, when we come back, Keith Smith, the latest on the NBA. We got new news on the potential return, where and when we could see hoops return. That's next. This is the Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN, the free mobile app. Turn it on. Leave it on. All right, we have news in the NBA, and it could be potentially good news as we get ready for Keith Smith, Yahoo Sports, NBC Pro Basketball Talk. He joins us now with what could be some, I don't know, some of the best news we've had in the NBA for quite some time, Keith. It looks like a plan could be in place. They may have listened to you, by the way, to get this NBA season up and going. What is the latest that we know here in the last hour or so? Yeah, well, I don't know that much has changed in the last hour or so, but I will say that it sounds like everything is moving forward towards the um, Walt Disney World Resort being the single site or at least one of uh, maybe two or possibly three sites to host the NBA uh, for the remainder of the season, whether that's for the uh, just the playoffs, regular season. We'll see what that all looks like. But it, it looks like Walt Disney World is going to be prominently involved one way or another. So uh, it looks like uh, Disney World could be one of the hub sites. Um do we have a time frame? I mean, is it sounding like they want to get this thing moving? Or are they going to take their time getting back with this? Yeah, what I'm hearing is that now that players, uh, the vast majority of teams are expected to be in their facilities by the beginning part of next week, 
it sounds like what is going to happen is we're going to take about two weeks for them to get back in, start to get back in the, the groove, let the trainers and, and folks take a look at them, see what kind of shape they're in. Then after that, then you've got probably a three- to four-week training camp is what it looks like will be put together. And then from there, they'll travel to Disney. There'll probably be some level of, um, I don't know if we're going to call it quarantine time, but just settle-in time, and then the season will get started sometime towards uh, mid-July, potentially as early as July 4th, but probably closer to mid-July. Keith, what do we know about how the season might look. You know, there's been a lot of uh, things thrown out there, you know, a play-in tournament with uh, 12 playing 9, 10 playing 11, the winner plays 8, they get in. Could we just play regular season games, pick up the season where it is? Do they have, like, an exhibition season? What do we know about the way a season might look? Yeah, there's a couple things in, in play here. The first is that it's highly unlikely we're going to get to an 82-game regular season. It's just too far away. It's too 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 uh, too long of a road to hoe. I guess is the best way to to put that. So I think what we're likely to see happen um, here is some form of regular season where they get back in and they play games to get everybody up to around the 70-game mark. That 70-game marker, as we've talked about in the past, is kind of the key number because then that allows the NBA to fulfill the vast majority of the regional sports network contracts. And that seems to be where they're targeting towards if they can make it happen. Then we would go into the playoffs from there. That also allows those handful of teams that are in playoff contention to at least give it a good run and try to get into the playoffs if they can overcome the deficits that they have, and the league feels good about it. But I was also told this week that if the league has to go direct to the playoffs, that they feel comfortable that there's enough of a spread between the eighth seed in each conference and the next closest team that they feel like it's not a half game or a game. They feel like the three and a half games in the West and the five games in the East is more than enough and that they would move to the playoffs and feel comfortable if that's the direction this goes. That's very interesting. I mean, we were we saw something where it's possible that it would be somewhat of a tournament to fight for that eighth seed. And if that is the case, then that eighth seed somewhat gets screwed. Because if you look in the East, the Orlando Magic have it from a pretty good range of, of wins. Yeah, they do. I believe they're five games up with the season on pause right now. And that's, that the playing uh, tournament potential does exist it could be a thing but adam silver very much wants to avoid any kind of single game elimination right now because his belief has been and has consistently been that running the gauntlet in the nba and doing and having to win all seven game series and the like crowns the true champion he doesn't want somebody getting in there that maybe should they have been in there maybe not what does it look like but then you also have the factor there's some of these teams like the orlando magic who've had a couple key players injured that could be back on the floor that had the playoffs gone off on as scheduled, there's no way those players would have played. So it's going to be interesting to see where they go to put all this together. But the NBA, you know, they're, they're a progressive league. They'll look at different things if they think it makes sense, and then they'll move forward without a lot of hesitation or worry. Talking with Keith Smith here on the Boardwalk Honda Hotline, uh, of course, covers the NBA, Yahoo Sports, uh, Pro Basketball Talk, NBC here on the Sports Bash. Uh, I guess the next question would be if they come back this year, what does next season look like? I mean, has I mean, I know that doesn't sound like why does that matter right now, but they've got to look at the calendar and, and kind of figure out when this season might end, and then what does that mean for the following season? Yeah, absolutely, and that has been a concern because one thing Adam Silver said is 
you do hit a point of no return where you don't want to impact too much of next season and the ability to have a full season next year. But what I'm thinking at this point, and it starts to line up if you really start pulling out a calendar and looking at it, if this season finishes right around Labor Day or shortly thereafter, you push everything back by about two and a half months. That's roughly what would happen here, maybe you know two in a week or so. But then what you do is you push everything back two and a half months on the other side, and that puts us with the start of next season right around the holidays, right around Christmas time. And I think that is something that the NBA is, they've already talked about it. It's a proposal that's out there is maybe the NBA season should start then anyway. And I think this is something that the NBA is willing to say, well, let's experiment with it and see what it looks like. If that makes sense moving forward in the next year, and we'll give it a try because circumstances call for it. What's the most recent update on what happens if someone tests positive? If What if one player gets it and then six players on a playoff team test positive? What are they going to do? Is it more of uh, let's just see what happens and we'll figure it out from there kind of thing? Yeah, the latest kind of the, uh, semi-official update was when Adam Silver told the Board of Governors, look, if we're going to shut everything down for one positive test, we need, really need to think about are we going to do this? Because I think their concern has been, We did that once already. We can't shut down again and then hope to resume the season. So if that's a concern, let's not even do this. Let's just move forward and, you know, we'll call this a season and we'll move into next year. But now you're starting to hear things like Eric Dudley today on a conference call said, you know, he's hearing that there's not really a bubble, but that players will be held accountable. If you go out of the bubble, you come back with coronavirus, you're not going to be allowed to play. But what does that do to teammates and everybody else on the team? Well, that starts to become a question. Now, everything that I have heard is they'll treat it like like an injury. Last year in the finals, Clay Thompson and Kevin Durant both got hurt and had to miss the rest of the finals, and we just moved on. And that's one of the things that they're talking about is the guy gets hurt during the playoffs, you treat him like sick or he's injured, and you move forward as best you can. But we'll see you know, ultimately where that takes us because I don't think those details have been hammered out with a fine-tooth comb just yet. All right, Keith, uh, obviously um, it sounds optimistic. Are you optimistic that we will be playing basketball come July? I'm extremely optimistic. I think everything over the past uh, two, three weeks has been trending in a manner of it makes a lot of sense, especially here in Central Florida where I am, as you guys know. One of the things that they said is you need to be able to test without taking it away from the folks who really need it, the first responders, the um, impacted community and the like, and there's abundance of testing here in Central Florida. I know a lot of people look at Florida and say, I don't know, Florida, really? And there's definitely some truth to that. But Central Florida, especially Walt Disney World, where it is, is almost its own kind of entity separate from the state. And in this area, there's, there's been no issue with testing. There's also the numbers are relatively low as far as positive tests and deaths, fortunately, for this area. So I think that's given the NBA a lot of confidence to Let's move forward with Disney as the plan. And if that's going to be the case, then that's what you do and you move this thing forward. So I'm now extremely optimistic that we're going to get basketball back on the court sometime in July. Um, Any thought that as this progresses that the teams can get back into their home stadiums? Yeah, I don't think this year. I think that's probably out the window. That seems to be having been taken off the table. If for no other reason than Adam Silver doesn't like the idea of teams traveling all over the country to all these different spots, having to go in and out of planes and in and out of um, airports and the like. That seems to be something he really doesn't want any part of. The teams don't seem over-enthused about that. Now, I think the whole goal is for next season, the 2021 season, to start with teams playing in their home stadiums 
likely without fans or a much smaller fan presence, at least initially. But I think that's more of a next year thing versus anything we'll see this year. What other cities besides Disney World and Vegas is being discussed, or is there maybe no other city? Yeah, Houston kind of came to the uh, table here over, I would say, it's maybe been the last week or so as an idea because they have the Rockets facility, they have the Rockets practice facility, which are right there next to each other. They also have a downtown convention center, which is very close by. But but that seems to be more of a, if we want to start to break this up into multiple sites and create smaller bubbles, that could be a way they go. But it really seems like Disney is the focus for a single site. I've even heard... Over the last, let's call it maybe 24 to 48 hours, Vegas has started to drop pretty significantly behind Disney. More with the concerns there of it's Las Vegas. What do we do? It's so much harder to police the players here. It's not as family friendly if they're going to bring families. And it's a lot harder to keep the public out because it is a you know living, breathing, working city where people live and work and all those kind of things. You can't shut it down quite the way you can at Walt Disney World. All right, Keith Smith with us here at the NBA. As he mentioned, he seems extremely uh, excited or uh, optimistic, I should say, and excited, I would imagine, as well, uh, that the NBA could be returning as teams are expecting Keith Wright to um, kind of get back at it. What, June 1st? We're looking at about two weeks from now. That's when the league will issue guidelines that will allow teams to start recalling players who have left their markets and then kind of uh, ramp up. So by the two weeks, two Wednesdays from now, we could be previewing potential playoff matchups. Yeah, I think what you're looking at there is you're absolutely right. We could be because I think with the June 1st to this point for the 18, or I believe it's now 19 teams that are back doing workouts, it's all voluntary. Now, what I've been told is the vast majority of players are in their, their NBA city. They, they Even the guys who have traveled home, a lot of them have traveled back anticipating getting back to work. The important thing to remember here is the NBA is not dragging the players into this. There may be a handful that have cold feet and aren't really sure about this idea, but the vast majority of players want to get back to work. They want to play again, and that's something as long as it's safe for them to do so, they believe that the NBA will take care of them and that they can get back to work. So the NBA is not dragging them along. They want to be there. So I think when we hear about this, they're going to recall players and say, hey, now it's mandatory you come back because we're restarting things here. I don't think that's going to be a big deal because the vast majority of players seem like they're already there and ready to go. Grace, uh, Keith Smith at Keith Smith NBA. As uh, If you didn't just listen to the conversation and you missed it, check it out on the podcast tonight or on our YouTube channel because you will get pumped up that the return of the NBA sounds close, as Keith Smith mentioned here on the Boardwalk Honda Hotline. All right, Keith, we'll check in with you next week, pal. Hopefully we are a step closer to the NBA returning. Yeah, that's the hope for me as well. I really appreciate it. You guys all stay safe, you and yours. You do the same. Keith Smith, like August, appeared via the Boardwalk Honda Hotline. And remember, Keith is in Orlando, right there where Walt Disney World is. And he said, you know, hey, this is the place. He wrote that big article that really started to catch fire, man. And uh, the NBA roads decided that this is a good idea. And that at this point, Disney World in Orlando is the clear front runner for the site to be when the NBA returns. You're going to be seeing games all the teams playing at one spot it looks like that's going to be pretty cool i am stoked gil i really am did he not just get you pumped yeah i told you that from the beginning i was juiced up thinking about this yeah but when he came on and and it's not like you know he shied away from it he said i am extremely optimistic Ooh, extremely ready for competition it's Ah. time for five questions 
Get ready for the five questions to get ready to wrap up tonight's show. Don't forget the best of the Sports Bash Hour coming up next. If you missed football at four, powered by Inside the Birds with Jeff Mosher. That is coming up in the best of the Sports Bash. But right now, Broads has today's five. Would you rather play mini golf with Rory McIlroy or go to the batting cages with Derek Jeter? Um... Probably hit with Jeter, I would guess. I don't have any ties to either one of these two gentlemen. I prefer baseball over golf. I could actually still hit. I'm a pretty good mini golf player, by the way. But I'd like to say to Jeter, like, hey, I can swing the bat too, bro. Well, imagine beating Rory because it's mini golf. I mean, you could be a pro all you want. It's mini golf. Maybe yeah. you could take him down, maybe take some of his lunch money. <laughs> I probably could. That's I, what I'm saying. I can sink a mean putt from in front of a windmill. Yeah, how about through an alligator's mouth? Now, what color ball do you use? Uh, I used to go with a blue ball. Like a light blue or a dark blue? Nah, like a navy for Dub V. Ooh. Or I'll go with the yellow. Ooh. The yellow makes it look like you're using a driving range ball. No, but I have you ever hit the free game hole? Of course, every time I go, actually. <laughs> okay. Next question. Would you rather be Steve Bartman or Scott Norwood, the place kicker famously oh, wow. known for the wide right? Uh, that's a tough one. I mean, Bartman has still never been found. I can imagine <laughs> what that guy's life is like. Seriously. Yeah, I shouldn't be laughing. I'm horrible. Seriously, what is that guy's life like? He's no longer Steve Bartman, obviously. Yeah, he has vanished completely off the face of the earth. Like, if you literally try to, um, like, they did the whole Bartman 30 for 30 on him, and they couldn't find him. They couldn't get him. You know, nobody has been able to find him. In fact, imagine if he picked out. up, he picked himself up, changed his name, and moved to Alaska. How would we ever know? Right, but that's what I want to know. Where is he? What did he do? What happened to him? Now, there will be a time where this... Uh, I don't even want to go down that road. Well, I don't know what happened to him. By the way, my answer would be Norwood. Because at least if I'm Norwood, I have probably some income money that I made from my career. See, Bartman's just a, a standard fan who ruined his life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I would go with Scott Norwood as well. But it's a, it's a bad spot to be in. Speaking of bad spots to be in, Randy Johnson's fastball to the face or a slap shot by Chara right to the teeth. None of them are good options. I mean, what, of course I mean? not. Well, I would imagine a Chara slap shot comes in at a higher velocity. It's pr probably yes. They do the hardest slap shot, and his is absolutely over a hundred mile per hour fastball. You know. Yeah. So I mean. These are, neither one of these are good options. Like, there's no winning answer here. There's no well, sure answer. there's not. That's why I put you in this position. Now, hold on. The He set the record for the hardest shot with 106. Yeah, 106 so, is faster than a Randy Johnson fastball. 108, 108, 106, we're in that range. Anything. I mean, anything over 100, you're, you're more than a Randy Johnson fastball. I guess Johnson has maybe been at 101 if, if he's been even that high. But 
I mean, it's not like someone listening right now is going to say I prefer one over the other, like you're an idiot for picking one. Like most of these, you'd be like, ah, you got to go this way. Neither one of these is a winning answer. Well, I think that there is a winning answer here. Taking a fastball to the face or getting your chiclets knocked out? Right. I mean, see, I always grew up wanting no teeth. So I'm taking the clap bomb. Now, here's the thing. It's just like when it's negative 80 or negative 90. It's just freezing at one point, right? I mean, you would think the pain would be the, the same way. The difference here, though, is the satisfaction of being able to have the hockey chiclets afterwards. So it's the it's the teeth. Yeah, I guess I'll keep my teeth and go with the Johnson fastball. See, that's the wrong answer. You don't want the Sean Couturier smile? No, I'm out on that. What do you mean? When I was younger, I used to tie my tooth to a door and I would just yank. My mom would be like, what the hell are you doing? I'd say, I want no teeth. That's good. That's why you played hockey. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I'm, crazy. I'm, I'll keep my teeth. Okay. Well, terrible answer. Although right? I lost part of my tooth this weekend. I'm sorry. Can you please elaborate? I lost part of my tooth this weekend. I don't know what happened. Just all of a sudden, it just... I woke up and my tooth was was gone. It was missing. Now, you could have said the coolest story in the world, Mm -hmm. but you're going to hit me with, "Eh, I just woke up. Well, what I thought happened was, so I made ribs on the grill, and I thought I had the rib meat stuck in my tooth. So that night, I was flossing away trying to get the, the, the rib meat out. Then the next day when I woke up, my girlfriend took a closer look, and she says, I think you lost, chipped your tooth. So there's a little part of one of my teeth in the back that apparently fell out. Chipped now, out. Are you, are you going to fix this issue eventually, or are you it's in the back? No, I did talk to my dentist. You know, I think dentists are now allowed to start working again, like actually today or maybe this week. So I guess I can get back in there, but I wasn't going to be able to get in there. Huh. Interesting. Okay. Well, this is more of a, a personality thing when it comes to teammates. Johnny Manziel as a teammate or Yasiel Puig as a teammate? Two people with, you know, they, they definitely have some personality to them. Which one do you think you would vibe with more if they're on your respected squad? Definitely Puig. I got no time for uh, Manziel. I got no time for a guy like Manziel who just thinks he's God's gift and deserves everything. You're a partier. I mean, you two would have been going wild together. Nah, I'm no partier. You're a beer drinker. I'll just sit back and have a couple beers. That's it. I'm not a partier. Well, who said he wouldn't be a good time to sit back and have some beers with? He might be, but he's obviously can't control it. So three in, he starts to become Johnny Manziel. I don't think you know him enough to say that. Probably not, but that would be my take. Okay. And the last one here, we kind of touched on this before. Robert Horry or Charles Barkley? So pretty much championships or the superstar player? Who would you rather be? Barkley. No championships. Does anybody know Horry now? Sure, I do. That's why I put him in here. 